right, well, it's good to see all of you tonight. And we welcome each of you who are with us by way of internet tonight and watching through the channels of YouTube. May the Lord richly bless you. And uh, we know that Many of you had planned on being here and weren't able to do so. So we're glad that uh, we're glad that you can do the next best thing. It's not the best thing you're doing, but the next best thing. And uh, if you couldn't be here, then you're able to be here with us in the spirit of the Lord and gather together with us in that same spirit. And we've been talking about uh, for some time now, not just during our time together here, with regard to the reality of our being in Christ. And therefore, wherever you are right now, uh, whatever town, city, or whatever country, wherever you are right now, uh, you're there in Christ. You who are born from above, you, you know, who have Christ as your life, you're there in Him. And uh, there's so many tremendous things about the reality of being in Christ. And things just, you know, you keep finding them in the Scripture and you keep, and the Spirit of the Lord keeps dealing with you about it. But there, see, there's no time in space, time Time, there is no time and space in Christ. And so consequently, in the flesh, in these natural bodies, uh, we, we're well aware of time and space. We have to get here uh, into a particular space and we have to be here at a particular time and uh, time and space does have, uh, uh, does have some control. Uh, for instance, if you were watching from um, whatever country or state, and we're here, uh, you know, in the Ozark Mountains in, in Arkansas, uh, then time and space uh, is between us, time and space. But time and space is always changing, always on the move, all, always changing, always, uh, and is, is not eternal. The reality of our being in Christ is, so that actually then, <laughs> I just thought of a term that we've all, that everybody's heard in the whole of the United States. I wish they could hear the gospel like that. Social distancing. That has become another politically correct way to say, get away from me. <laughs> Social distancing. <laughs> Do 
There is no such thing in Christ. Amen. There is no such thing in Christ. Time and space don't count there. We're all gathered up in the one body, the one spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And the dispersing from time and space, the dispersing out from this building doesn't change that a bit. Because our being in Christ is not about geography of any kind. It is about divine relationship. And it is about spiritual union with Christ and consequently with one another. Paul, if you look at his writings carefully, and we'll be looking at some of that as we go on, but was very much motivated, very much motivated in what he did every day, where he was, what he said, by this reality of being in Christ, much more so than he was actually by time and space. And that's just the truth of it. This is a man who sat in jail under Roman guard and, and wasn't making up just sayings, Christian sayings, when he said, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Over and above the Romans. It, you understand what I'm saying? Uh, probably not, but we need to be able to do that. Uh, whether he was in a shipwreck or whether he was sitting in the home of, uh, of a family of believers, he was there in Christ. He acted like that. He made decisions according to that. He made no decisions according to a storm. He made no decisions according... In fact, he was the only calm in that whole storm. Because Christ, because he dwelt in the calm in Christ the Lord. But you know, it, 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 I'm, I'm just trying to tell you it was not a, Christian, a line of Christian theology with this brother, this reality of being in Christ. And if you'll read his letters right up before he was put to death, it was the same. And I'm sure if you had been there during the time of his, what was it, his head being cut off? I think, I think he was decapitated. John was boiled in oil. And they couldn't kill him. So, I mean, can you imagine that? So they took him out of the big vat of oil and put him out on an island where he was directed of the Lord to write what we call the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. He was exiled on an island. But with Paul, cutting his head off did kill him. And yet, the man had already died and found his life in Christ. 
And what I'm trying to tell you, if you're reading his appeal, I've, I've just been, I've been doing this over again for months because that's where the Lord has me and has made me go there. And uh, just the reality of being in Christ. And from time to time, something just new, of newness just comes up. And I think, I never really saw that before. Or I didn't see that... Uh, you know, I, I didn't see that. Just, just like the time and space. Uh, I knew there was no time and space there, but it comes around to you. And, you know, and we recognize, you know, it's time to start service. That's fine. But I'm talking about people whose lives are motivated and controlled by time and space. Not just their jobs, being the job on time, but... In, in, inside of them, they're controlled by that kind of a thing. Uh, they're controlled, uh, you know, and, and, I, and I won't just go on and on and on on that. Rather than making decisions based upon our being in Christ. Uh, decisions concerning, well, everything. 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 Uh, based upon who we are and where we are in relation to Christ, in relation to Him. So that's one of the things that we are faced with when we begin to talk about the reality of being in Christ. And we're going to just look at some things tonight that we've been looking at uh, on some of the CDs and in some of our sessions here anyway. Uh, but it is always ever and ongoing. So I want us to talk about the great reality of being in Christ is that He has brought us into the presence. The presence. And in doing that, we're, we're going to have to consider our great high priest. And we're not going to have a lot of time on this. And I may be doing this for a while and then finish it up tomorrow night or it may never get whatever. But the contrast between the high priest that we have and the high priest of the old covenant, of the Aaron order. Because, you know, he too uh, had that same, uh, that same ministry, at least, uh, and, and, and performed that ministry as well as he could under the circumstances of the time and of that ministry, and, but he, he represented uh, the, the, the children of Israel. He represented them uh, before the Lord. And he did that uh, in a very continual basis with just the, the clothing that he wore and the garb that he wore and, and uh, what he wore upon his breastplate and all of the other parts of his, of his attire had to do with Israel being in the presence of the Lord. Because then this high priest 
could go into places in the tabernacle or in, in yeah, the tabernacle of Moses. He'd go into tabernacle and go into places that no other priest, none of the other priesthood or Levites, uh, no other Israelite uh, could go. Uh, but the high priest would go there on his behalf. And then the high priest would come out uh, from that place. All of you have heard about this, so I won't take up 30 minutes explaining that I'm talking about the Feast of Atonement here, which is part of the Feast of, of uh, 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 the Feast of Tabernacles which is the last feast of the year of Israel. But he would do that, and then he would come back out. Now, in between all of that, he was taking baths inside. He bathed five times that day. He changed his clothes very often that day. He would come out of the robes of glory and put on the robe and the pants and all of that that were just made out of white linen, uh, and then he would go in before the Lord that at that particular time and that that only time he would go behind the veil and then he would come out from behind that. Then he would take that all off and then he would put his other robes back that had with them the ephod and, and the, the hat and the whole nine yards and then dressed as the salvation and also as the glory, because these were the robes of glory and the robes of beauty, and dressed in all of that, he would go out and show himself to all of Israel that was standing there. And they're going to stand there till he comes out. And that is the end of the, uh, of, of the Feast of the Atonement. That's the end of that day. But it's not over with until he comes back out. He offered all kind of sacrifices. I mean, hundreds of sacrifices, if not thousands. And he offered everything that they, every animal that was on the list, he offered them. I mean, it was a bloody place that day. And he started out early in the morning doing all of that. And then they had the two goats. One, you know, to be turned loose, the other to, to be killed uh, and offered. And, and all of that went on. But all of that went on before he ever went behind the veil. All of that was necessary to him going behind the veil. And he took the blood with him when he went behind the veil of the sacrifices. But that going behind the veil only happened one time a year in one feast, which was Feast of Atonement, one time a year, and that's it. And it was with the high priest. Now, we're going to look at that being fulfilled in Christ here in just a few moments tonight. We're going to look at that very thing. We could spend, oh, well, you know, days just reading about that, reading about that. Uh, uh, we spent we spent two two and a half years just recently in the Wednesday night class uh, going through the feasts of the Lord in Israel 
Passover all the way through Tabernacles. And it took a long, long time because there's a whole lot to it. And it's tremendous to be able to do that. And we, we did that. This Wednesday by Wednesday by Wednesday went all the way through it. Why would you want to do that? Because everything that is there in type, in shadow, and it is just a multitude of things, all of that in its deepest meaning, all of that in its God-given substance was fulfilled in Christ. Fulfilled in Christ. And so much more. He didn't just fulfill types and shadows. He went beyond, beyond them. He didn't just fulfill the great high priest or the high priest. He didn't just fulfill that order, that office. He went far beyond it. The types and the shadows all fell short of the glory of God while Christ, I'm talking about the one that lives in you, the one that lives in us, while Christ, is the glory of God. <laughs> and all of that other fell short of the glory of God. That isn't just my opinion. That is Paul's letter in 2 Corinthians, the third chapter. The third chapter. Talking about the glory of the Mosaic order and of the Mosaic time and of the old covenant, and of all of those feasts, and all of everything that made it glorious, when put up beside Christ, is seen to be non-glorious. That which was glorious became non-glorious because of the glory that is Christ himself. It all falls short. It points to something that it cannot become, it speaks of something that it cannot do. And on and on we could go with that. But Christ is the very person and fulfillment of it. And so to cut more or less to the chase tonight, take a piece of that puzzle, the high priest, and let's look at the contrast. And see I, see, I get right here and then I don't even more want to do that than I want to stand on my head. What I want to do is go talk about the type and the shadow and the high priest because I don't think most believers have ever given really any real time to that. You talk about the high priest, they say, oh, who, who what, where, uh, oh, you know, Aaron, oh, okay, Aaron. But have you ever followed Aaron through one of his days? Or one of his encampments? Or he and Moses? De you, you, you know. Is that, is that of any significance at all? Because that's a testimony of our salvation. 
and what Israel had to do and where they had to be gathered and all of that because everything of that is fulfilled in our relationship to Christ. But it's more than just fulfilled in our relationship to Him. But it speaks of great things. One of the problems in, in, the, in Christian religion various denomination orders of it in the Christian religion. One of the real problems is that theologically, in many of them, their teaching, their preaching, their theology, in many of them, is very familiar with the tabernacle services, the altars, the sacrifices, the feasts, very familiar with them. But unfortunately, they're looking for them at the end of time. And I'll have to say that's where you find them. But Christ is the end of that time. It came to its end with Him. He is the fullness of that time. It came to its completeness with Him. But they're looking down the road. They're, they're looking for what that type and shadow speaks of. Oh, brother, one day it's going to be that way. We will be in glory. If you just knew it, sweetie, you're in glory right now. And the glory that you're in is not a cloud floating around in the sky. And it's not a pillow of fire that shows up at night. No, no. No. See, that was make-believe. Yes, really it was. I mean, there was great significance to it. And the Lord spake out from it. But the Lord was not that cloud. He's never been a cloud. He never will be a cloud. But it was significant. It was significant. And it would fill the tabernacle. But see, hon, that's the glory that falls short of Christ Himself, who is the glory of God, the brightness of God's glory. Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1, first chapter. The brightness of God's glory. The express image of His person. And that's the one who lives in you. That's the one in whom you dwell. But what they saw in type and shadow with natural eyes, natural eyes, natural senses, cannot see in its reality. It has to be the eyes of our understanding. The eyes of our under the eyes of our soul. The understanding of our soul. Not I'm not talking about the brain right now, but of our soul. in the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, the inward revealing of Christ. 
That's why it's so important. Israel gathered there because they wanted to see the glory of God. In that type, in that shadow, they wanted to see it. It, 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 it was the center part of their life. They wanted to see the glory of God. Moses told the Lord one time, if thy presence does not go with us, then let us not leave from this place. Let us not leave from this place. The presence of the Lord is what, is what we're talking about. The presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord is not a feeling. The presence of the Lord is a person. Is a person. And there's a word used for presence. It's translated in the English as coming. The coming of the Lord. Perusia. It, it actually in the Greek means, and that's the only thing it does mean in the Greek, is uh, presence. His presence. But it means that that presence has been, has been shown. Has been shown. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God has shined in our hearts in the face of Jesus Christ. It means that that presence has been revealed, has been shown. Uh, it has been, as it were, whatever uh, Christ in you and the veil being taken off of him, the presence is, is there. And we behold him in his presence. And, it, and, it, and this is the reality of the thing that in the type and shadow could only be, be dealt with in that way. It had to be dealt with in a, in a strong thunder, the voice of the Lord, uh, or in a mighty blowing wind, or as I'm talking about, in that fateful pillow of fire that was always with them. But in the daytime, that pillow of fire was a pillow of cloud. And it hovered over them. And when they moved, they, and they moved because that moved. When that pillow of cloud moved in the daytime because they didn't pack up and travel at night, they followed it so that it was always over them, always. And when they stopped and pitched the tabernacle, it came and was over the tabernacle. Until nighttime, then it was the pillow of fire. It was, you see, not just a feeling, it was actually as, as much as type and shadow could be, as much as God could just give a testimony of it could be, it was something that they actually saw. It had, it had an actual substance of some kind to it that they could see. There wasn't just, well, you know, I feel like the Lord may be here. No, they look right there and see, the Lord is here. Because that was the indication of his presence. And when he spoke, he spoke out of that. He spoke out from there. 
And when the glory of God came into that tabernacle, however many times that would happen, when the glory of God came into that tabernacle, it, the glory of God came out from that cloud. The cloud wasn't the glory of God, but the glory of God came out from that cloud and, 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 and was similar, I suppose, most theologians believe it was something like a, a, a heavy fog or a heavy smoke of some kind, and it would fill the tabernacle to some degree. It would fill the Holy of Holies, and then, but there was a time that it filled the whole thing, the glory of the Lord, pointing toward the glory that was yet to come. The glory that was yet to come. The glory that came in the person of, and spirit of Christ himself. So you see, it comes down to this, hon. You are that temple. You are that tabernacle. Christ is the foundation. Christ is the walls. Christ is the all in all of it. But he is that through his union with you, the believer. He is that through his union with you. We'll be talking about tonight, just as I'm kind of skipping through things here, but I wanted to talk to you tonight about Number one, the, the, uh, the exclusiveness, the exclusiveness of Christ, something that only He is, something that only He is. It could, be, it could be even something that only He can do, but I'm using it as something that only He is. He is that exclusive, and nobody else will ever be that. I won't ever be that, you won't ever be that, nobody else will ever be that. Like the head of the body of the church, it'll never have two heads. It never will. He is exclusively that. He also is exclusively our high priest. We don't have half a dozen. We have one high priest. And after that, and in connection with that, we will be looking at the inclusiveness, because everything that he is, that he exclusively is, has an inclusiveness to it on our behalf. For instance, this is a simple illustration. He says, I am the door. And you know that by that, he means there isn't another one. There is just one door. If by me you enter in. See, and that's the only way. It's not an exit door. It's not a door to get you out of anything. It's the door of entering in. It's the door that he is. I am the door. It was, it, 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 it's the fulfillment of that door that was uh, coated with blood uh, up one side, down the other, and across the bottom, and all of that. Uh, while they were in Goshen, and the night that they were delivered early the next morning, you know what I'm talking about, the first Passover, and the blood of the lamb that I was talking about last night uh, was put upon that door. At any rate, my point being, he stands and says, I'm the door. And that goes for the, that door, which, which, which was clearly, clearly seen, and brought to a, a much of an enlargement as the, 
as the door of the tabernacle of Moses. That, that door where, where every sacrifice was brought, was brought, had to come by way of that door. Every sacrifice. And right inside that door was the brazen altar where the sacrifice was slain. So it was all there at that door. He says, I am the door. Well, it's, we, for us, it is inclusive, but it's, it's only inclusive if we enter in through that door. See, it's not, it, it, it's just one door. But it's not something that you have to stand away from or keep away from. And in the, in, in, under the Old Covenant, a lot of that went on. See, like Moses was up on the mountain, Israel could not even come close to the mountain, let alone climb up on it. And yet you and I in Christ have come to Mount Zion that is exclusively the mountain of the king, but we are by him brought right into the reality of that Mount Zion. Now we will never be who he is, but the inclusiveness of it is that we are now where he is. We're not kept out from that door. It's exclusive. It's exclusive. It's not just some old door. But it is inclusive to those who will enter in by the blood, by his death, by the lamb. You'll never, you'll never be the door, but you can enter in by the door. And yet, there's no other way to do it. There's not four or five doors. You don't have a choice in the matter. It's just he that the door. You understand what I'm trying to say in my limited vocabulary of inexclusiveness of him. But then he turns, and as it was, and he opens himself to you and I, and it becomes an inclusive thing. It includes us. His sonship includes us. But I am not the Son of God. You aren't either. But we are His body. And, and Father God sees us as the one body of His one Son. So there's an inclusiveness there. This business of being in Christ is that inclusive part. That's the inclusive part. That day you'll know that I am in my Father. Okay, Lord. Where does that leave me? Where does that leave the believer? Where does that leave the church? And you will know that you are in me. 
that where I am, there you may be also. And what is the, the what is what what is the the cinch pin of that? What is what I mean? I mean what nails that down is that third part of that union. And you know that's in John fourteen twenty. You shall know that I am in my Father. I've I've made the trip. I left glory and I've come back to glory, but not by myself. Where I am, there you are also. You're not who I am, you're where I am. You're my body. And I'm your life. You will know that I'm in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. And that's a, that's a union that's just, that's just like that right there. More than that. It's, it's a union that says, He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Yeah. And it doesn't make me the spirit of the Lord, but it's, it's the spirit that dwelleth in me. That's when I come to see I didn't have four or five spirits. One. And it's the Spirit of the Lord. If I, if I have life. Unless I'm just totally dead in sin. For if any man have not the Spirit of Christ. Now I am a soul. I, I, people used to tell me all the time when I was growing up in the church world. You know, well, you know. Uh, you're a body and, you know, you're a human and you have a soul. And I found out just in searching the scriptures and particularly in seeing Christ, I am the soul. A soul is what I am. <laughs> I mean, Adam was made a living soul. And it doesn't say that he was made anything else. Formed out of the earth, so we know that was his body made out of dirt. But he was created as a soul. Now, it seems like, you know, you'd think, well, he'll get to the point in a minute. I got to the point when I started. It'll just be gathered up in a minute or so. I want us to understand that the soul was created, was created. For the presence of God. Adam wasn't spiritual. He wasn't created with the Spirit of God dwelling in him. He never was spiritual. First man was never spiritual. He had the opportunity to be spiritual. The tree of life was right there in the garden. Somehow or another he was never enticed to go eat it. But nonetheless, he was created a soul. Genesis 3.8. Genesis 3.8. Because I'm talking to you about our high priest bringing us into the genuine presence of God. 
And I want us to understand it is not a feeling. It is not a sound. It's none of that. It's none of what I thought it was. What I thought it was when I first started preaching as a uh, pretty young. And, and you, because you'd hear it all the time in the church. I was raised in the church world and I heard it all the time. Man, you folks should have been here last night. The presence of God filled this place. The glory of the Lord came down. Well, man, I, you know, if I wasn't, hadn't been there that night, I felt really badly about it because that's where I wanted to be. I wanted to be where the presence of God was. Now that was a deep in my soul. I'm talking about a, at the best by that time, 14 years old. It's a teenager. But somehow or another, I, you know, that was the, the way the Lord was always taking me. I think it was because my mother prayed me to sleep every night of my life that I, can, that, that I was at home. I went to sleep hearing her pray for J.W. And, and, and I was born again when I was just a child. And the Spirit, you know, but, I, but what I'm telling you, hon, that didn't, that, I didn't know come here from Sikkim. And yet the Lord knew. The Lord is gracious. It, you, you, you know, there's no age limit to being born again, being born above. But I had no idea what that was until the church crowd, you know, told me, well, your sins are forgiven and one day you're going to go to heaven. You don't have to worry about going to hell now. And if the rapture takes place, then you, you'll be right there in it so you don't have to be afraid anymore. Because I was. I was afraid I'd come home and Mama would be gone and I thought, oh my. She's gone in the rapture and I'm left. That's a little child. I'd sit down and bawl my eyes out. I'm not joking with you folks about this. And I did that until I saw Christ. Until I come to a real revealing of the Son of God in me. I always had that in the back of my mind. Those things that I was raised up in. None of which were true. I mean, they weren't even a good type and shadow. The types and shadows that we look at in the Bible are true. And they're pointing to a reality. Some of the things you get in the church world is not true and it doesn't have any reality about it. It just scares you or threatens you or puts it so far down in the future that you might well forget about it. Stuff like that. Stuff like that. But I'd hear that, and so that's what I thought. I, I thought the, the presence of God would be a great shaking of some, a feeling of some kind. It had to be that way. I'd preach until somebody got some kind of a feeling, and then I'd begin to say the power of God just entered. The presence of God is coming down. And then, you know, maybe I'd have people jumping over pews by that time. I'm not making funny of anybody. If, hun, I, I, I love to hear people shout. Shout. I don't care. But don't confuse it with the presence of God. Just call it what it is. I got excited and wanted to say glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Well, I do that all the time. 
So that's fine. But I thought that that was the presence of God. People were, had that feeling. But we're going to find out, and the cue cards I'm being shown here, we're not going to find out much. But I want you to know what I'm talking about. That's all I'm doing. I'm just talking. Well, I want you to know what I'm talking about, hon. I'm, I'm, it wouldn't do me any good to sit here and preach this as a Bible lesson. It's a reality we're talking about of a union with Christ. And I want to show it to you in the Scripture. First, I want to show it to you. And I'm going to do that no matter how long I have to sit here and do it. We're going to, we're going to read here in, uh, in Genesis. In Genesis, concerning the presence, I said that God created the soul for presence. All right? At that time, at that time, His presence was outward, but I want to show you that even then, it wasn't a sound, it wasn't wind, it wasn't nature acting up, it was a person. Verse 8, Genesis 3, And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. Now, I've taken time to look into that in quite a little search and do a lot of printing on it of long uh, theological uh, sayings uh, and these, these guys that have compared it to the Talmuds and, and all of that and so what I'm telling you is true what I'm telling you is true this, the, in the Hebrew it would read like this and what they heard uh, and, and rather and they heard the word of God walking in the garden. Not speaking of a sound, because the Hebrew word that that, that comes from is a being. One of them says, a person. A person. Not flesh person, but a person. Christ is the person of the very, you know, the very image of God's person. All right? So my point is, is it was, and, 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 they, and, and they take that to John 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, same was in the beginning with God, that Word was made flesh, and, and goes on. And those guys who are not, you know, most of, they're not super spiritual people, but they, they do know the languages that they're dealing with. And that's what they were, and that's what they brought that to. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. Not his name Jesus, not born of a virgin, but it was that same word, that same Christ. And we read it that without him not anything was made that was made, and you know, and all of that. Oh yes.
It was His presence that they ran from, not a feeling. They actually were hiding from a person whom they heard walking, walking in the garden. And I've heard that preached a lot and used to. I mean, I was taught that, that well, you know, they, they heard a sound. They heard a sound. Because, you know, God is spirit and here they went. Uh, and, and it is true, God is spirit. But it is also true that Abraham saw an angel and talked to him and made, made food for him and, and, and two or three others. And one of those was the Lord himself. Sure. What is that, a theophany? There's a word for that, I think. Yeah. All of it is pointing to the Lord Jesus. All of it is pointing to not another theophany. It's pointing to the indwelling Christ himself. And it's not an appearance out here as an angel. It is a revealing in here as the son of the living God. He is really in you by his spirit. And the spirit of God really gives us eyes to see him and ears to hear him. For this voice of the Lord is the word of the Lord. That's just tremendous. But when I was looking at that, so I, I had to print it out. I had to print it out because this is the presence that Adam was created for. But that presence came and that presence left. But it wasn't the feeling. It was the person. And this time when he came, they ran and they hid. And then in Genesis 4, And Cain said unto the Lord, This was after Cain murdered his brother. Not only brought the wrong sacrifice, and then not only became wroth, but he killed his brother. And, and the Lord found him. The Lord found him. And he did, did the same thing that he had done with his father. He said, where are you? And he knew exactly where he was. But he was going to have to tell him where he was. <coughs> where are you? Same way with Cain. He knew good and well what Cain had done. But he asked him, where's, where's your brother? His brother was dead. Where's your brother? And got about the same response from the son as he did from the father, from, 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 from Adam. And he got about the same response from Cain. Cain said, how should I know? Am I my brother's keeper? Adam said to the answer, how did you know that you were naked? Well, you see, it's this woman you gave me. 
And that's really what he said. I mean, that's not in my colloquialism, but that's really what he said. He, he never, do you know that that man never did repent? He come up with several excuses. He never just fell down on his face and started crying out for mercy. He never did. First, he blamed God. It's this woman you gave me. Then he enlarged on that and he blamed the woman. Then he ended up blaming the devil. She blamed the devil too. And none of it helped him. Because it didn't make any difference. They had been told not to fool with that tree. Anyway, you know that. But what really happened here was they lost the presence. And that's and you know, up until the search on this presence, I don't know back in the I don't know when it was, it just wasn't too long ago, that dawned on me. Because people you talk about, you know, they lost the garden, the beautiful place, and oh, wouldn't it be lovely to be there? And you know, they go on and on and on and on. Well, no, because that, that's not the point. Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. But before he did that, in verse 13, Genesis 4, 13, Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. And I'd look at that, and I've thought about it, but I never did connect the two because I never did really connect this up here because I'd never read it by somebody who had, who, who, who had read it in the Hebrew and said, here's, how it, here's what it is. It is a being. He heard a being whose name was the Word of God and that's who they ran and hid from. Isn't that something? The Word of God. They heard Him walking, and they hid. And all of a sudden you can think, for God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, a sound mind. But all that's come in the person of Christ. Well, I mean, it just brings a lot of things together. And so when I read this on Cain, I thought, good Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. And then I read in one of Paul's epistles, in Thessalonians, I believe it is, of how the punishment of God is that they are out from the presence. That they die out from the presence, put out of the... And then it made sense because... What happened to you in Israel? Now, you know, they had time, they'd stone people for this, that, or the other. But the real punishment, the one that, 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 that was linked to all of the males appearing three times a year, that soul shall be separated out from the presence. And then I understood why now, folks, I was raised in Pentecost, so I'm saying nothing about Pentecost, nothing bad about anything at all. 
But I began to understand why the religion of Pentecostalism, you know, places so much emphasis upon feelings and and, and, and having, you know, the glory came down last night. The presence came down last night. Because there's something in our soul that wants to get a hold of something that is the presence of God. And, and so we get a hold of an emotion or, and, and we call it the presence of God. And it, you, you, are you hearing what I'm trying to say, hon? That... Moses was created for the presence of God. And that's, and as a new creation in Christ Jesus, that's where we're brought. By our high priest, we are brought, not just out of death, not of the hell, not of the, out of the grave, not just that, it's not out of anything. We are brought into the presence of the Most High God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we don't know that, so we try to find it in a feeling, and you will never find it in a feeling, because it wasn't a feeling here in the garden. You don't run and hide from a feeling. It becomes an assurance of our soul. I don't know that Janie and I have ever searched the house for one another. I think I've searched the house trying to find her before. Uh, it, it's a big old house and it goes a lot of different directions. But we have both searched the house looking for a little dog before. And it got down to the point that we were really, 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 really serious. until we saw that dog. And all of you know, we just kept saying, the dog couldn't have gotten out, couldn't have gotten out, couldn't have gotten out. Yeah, well, and what are you doing out here in the dark with a flashlight? You know? She's a little, bit, little bitty fuzzy black thing anyway. My point, I'm trying to make a point, hon. It's not about feelings. It's not about what is the assurance. We just see him. And the Lord is present. The Lord is the presence, you see. What we're going to look at under this, and it makes it important, and you look at it, because I, I didn't get very far, but I'll get that far tomorrow night. We've been there here, and talked about it on some of the CDs, but it's, it's in Hebrews. Uh, we want to read out of Hebrews 10, uh, Hebrews 2, and Hebrews 4, and then we're going to read out of Hebrews 8 and Hebrews 9, and verse 24 of Hebrews 9, we're going to find that our great high priest has appeared in the presence of the Father on our behalf. And we'll find that that means, and we'll find it in the Scripture, not just because I say so, that that means He is standing there, appearing before the Father, and we are there in Christ.
We are there accepted in the beloved. But it's the beloved. See, see that's where it comes to this word I'm using, uh, exclusiveness. He is exclusively the Son of God. He is exclusively the brightness of God's glory. But he's not alone. We're there in him. He has presented us. Not out from himself, not as many, because many doesn't have anything to do with it. Forget many. As his one body. In Christ Jesus. You'd like to look at Hebrews 9, verse 24. And, and just read Hebrews 9, period. There's, we're going to be there anyway, looking at the contrast. Because everything that relates to him was a type and shadow over here in the first order of things. But now, he has come. And he has come as the second. As the second itself. I want to talk to you about that. Because that's where a lot of people get the term second coming. But he has come as the second. As the second. He has come as the holy of holies, which was the second. Behind the second veil. He has come as the substance of what was a type of him. Because that's where the glory of the Lord descended. In the holy of holies. But it descended as a smoke. It descended as a, you know out from the cloud. But in reality, it's Christ. And in reality, He's in you. And in reality, you're in Him. Oh, my. So we want to look at that. He appears. And there we're found in the presence. Because the presence, the one who initiates and makes manifest the presence of God is in us. He's in us. He's there when you feel bad. He's there when you're down in the dumps. He's there when your automobile just turned over and it's sitting on its top spinning around and around and around and around and around. Now see, that's not a good setting to call the presence of God, but the presence of God is in you. It's not just that God, God was watching over you. Well, all right, fine, I'll go along with that. But it was a whole lot more than that. You're cutting short. He was in you and is in you. We say, well, what if it was a believer and that believer was killed? He was in them then too and is still in them and they are in him. And they're only out of one thing, and that's their body. The presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord. What a tremendous thing. If you will stop and give heart to it, then I'm not telling you you'll never have a feeling. I'm just telling you that feelings come and go. Best ones. 
best ones do. But our soul, and Rabin was teaching on that one time, and we were talking about it, but he, he, I think he was searching on that and teaching it one time. Our soul has senses. It's just not the senses of the flesh. And there is such thing as a deep, deep knowing of joy, of peace, of rest, of love. But I could not outwardly and by my natural senses tell you what that feels like. I can tell you what hilarity looks like. But you know and I know hilarity comes and goes. Hey, I have actually, believe it or not, I've been hilarious before. I mean, I've, I've, been, I've been driving down the road. I've been driving down the road with Harry Patterson that none of you thankfully, luckily know. And two Mexicans and one Indian and a South Korean in the back seat. And I've been laughing so hard I'd have to pull over. I was crying and had to get off of the road and sit there. So I've been hilarious. But I'm not talking about hilarity. I'm talking about a peace. I'm talking about the presence of the Lord. That presence, you, you can share with others out from that. You, you can't give them that presence, but you can share with others as one who is standing in the presence of the Lord. It'll make a difference. It'll make a difference. You don't have to uh, jump around and say, you know, thus saith the Lord God Almighty. No, that's not necessary but you can share with them. Oh, you can do it loudly or calmly or any way you want to do it. You can do it right out from the presence of the Lord and it'll make a difference. It'll make a difference. But we need to know that the presence is in us so we can just say, Father, see, show me thy presence. Because even in the garden they saw the presence. But that day they ran hid. Cain said, this is the worst thing that could ever happen to me and I cannot bear my punishment. What was that? Put out from the presence of the Lord. At that point in time, it didn't make any difference that he went to the land of Nod or that he went anywhere else on the face of the earth. The point was, he was out from the presence. His soul, he as a soul, was created for the presence, son. That's that thing that's down deep in, in those who do not have Christ as their life that they can never satisfy, never. It's always there, it's there. There's an empty place, there's a point they can't touch. That's why people become, have, have become alcoholics and drug addicts and, and, and all a bunch of things. What, doing what? They weren't taught that as a child in most cases. You understand, you're hearing me. Because the soul is after something beyond all of that. It was created for it and can't find it in anybody but Christ. Can't find it. It's not there to be found. 
And so people go to churches, and, and you know, it's what I'm saying. We come back and we get involved in those kind of services. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not used to conduct those kind of services. So, but when it ends, it ends. It's like walking and watching a real good moving picture show or going to a real good ball game. Or for me, going down to Georgia, going out to Stone Mountain, and watching, uh, uh, watching Stonewall Jackson and Robert E. Lee and somebody else mount up on horses and gallop across the face of Stone Mountain when the laser lights are on them. I want to tell you what, honey, I stood there and bawled and cried like a baby. That is a moving thing. Yeah, everybody will hear that now. And that's fine. Maybe you need to go down to Stone Mountain. Bless your heart, that's one monument that none of the idiots will ever be able to tear down. That thing is a mountain. I mean a mountain. Amen, brother. Yeah, go down there and have a, <laughs> have a try at that. My point is, hon, you can get carried away with your emotions. So they come and they go. But his presence abides forever. And that's where our great high priest has brought us. And we'll look at that. I, wanna, I just want to go through those verses. And so this, you know, I saw a, a good ways into this that, well, I might as well just go ahead and do it, do the introduction and lay some groundwork so we can come back tomorrow night and say, okay, turn to Hebrews chapter 7 and get on about it. Our great high priest, after the order of Melchizedek, not Aaron, but Melchizedek. Who was Melchizedek? You know who he was. Thank you so much, you guys that are here tonight. I think I didn't run over that much on time. Appreciate you that are with us by way of the internet. You know, it would be so wonderful to have you here. They would just sit down and drink a cup of coffee with you out on the porch here in a little bit. So we're missing you. And yet we're glad that we are in one place together, in one reality together. And that isn't the geography place, but... It is a reality of Christ, and that's what we're sharing with you while we're here. And uh, we love you guys, and we look forward to seeing you uh, somewhere before this year is out in some of our meetings. And if there's anything we can do to help you, please do not hesitate to let us know now. And thank you for your support in enabling us to continue to reach out beyond ourselves with this gospel. Okay, next session will be in the morning at 10 o'clock. And I've been announcing, I've been, I've been announcing, Brother, Brother Raven, heard every, I finally got it right. He will have the, uh, and he better not say no, uh, that he doesn't. <laughs> he will have the session in the morning at 10 o'clock. So, for you who have been wondering about that, that's when it is, 10 o'clock in the morning. And 
for everyone that's here. Our schedule tomorrow is the same as it was today. Lord bless. Amen. Amen.